gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman, The Superman Vidcast, The World's Best Podcast, and Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a being from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 37 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only comic book podcast covering the adventures of Superman from 1970 to 1986. I am Charlie Niemeyer. I am the pre-crisis J. David Weeder. Exactly. And in this episode, we will be covering the issues with a February 1973 cover date. But first, we want to remind you that Superman in the Bronze Age is sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. Want to keep up on all your favorite comics, graphic novels, and collected editions, but don't want to pay full retail price? Look no further than Discount Comic Book Service. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic book fan longs for. You can even earn 5% from your Comixology orders. Use the buttons on the DCBS homepage to place your Comixology orders and you will earn 5% of those orders to apply toward your DCBS orders. If you order all of the DC New 52 titles on day of release, you could earn almost $8 for your next DCBS service. You can find them on the web at www.dcbservice.com and also be sure to visit their sister stores, InStock Trades and My Digital Comics. <sighs> I did that on all one breath, could you tell? Yeah. Yeah. Well played, sir. <laughs> Thank you. And now, without further ado, because he's been waiting patiently and not actually making noise like he threatened to do, while I went through all of that, we have a special guest with us today. A comic book reader, a podcaster, and a Pisces. Please welcome Michael Bradley to the show. Also known as the post-crisis J. David Weeder. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, 
So Michael has been on the show before, way back in episode 14 to be exact, and we're glad to have him back on the show finally. Um, Michael, I'm going to give the floor to you and allow you to tell everyone what the heck you do. I don't need two of them. Well, the more the merrier, I always say. Okay. So what else do you do on the internet that involves things? I host a podcast. I I host a podcast and I co-host a podcast. Sweet. Why don't you tell people about it? Okay. Um, well, my, my main show is The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, where I'm going through all of Superman's Golden Age adventures. Uh, right now I am in 1940, the mid-1940. Um, I usually take one story per episode, whether it be from comics or the newspaper serial or the radio show. Uh, whenever I have the radio show as the focus, Charlie joins me for those episodes, so that's been a lot of fun. And my other show is Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with uh, J. David Weeder here and Jeffrey Taylor. And on that show, we're going through Green Lantern stories from 1983 forward. And, and we they just are start- awesome. Sorry. They are very awesome, yes. yes we, just, we just started that, but we've got about three episodes out now. Um, it's only monthly, but we cover three months of books per episode, so we're, we're cruising right through to, we're heading towards Crisis on Infinite Arts, so. You, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I listened to the first episode where you covered the, uh, from 83 up, because mm-hmm. your first one was the pre, all that stuff, right. and the, you had the show about the Green Lantern cartoon, and it turns out, like, like the week before you guys released that show, I had literally gone to the comic shop, and found like almost the whole run minus one issue of the Len Wing Dave Gibbons run on Green Lantern. Oh yeah? So literally I was sitting down to read to look at the books and I started listening to your show and I'm like, dude, that's the same one I'm reading. So I paused your show and read the books, so then I knew what the heck you guys were talking about. So that was just a weird coincidence. <laughs> and it wasn't funny or anything. The javelin? Yes. Yeah. Javelin was much cooler than he should have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I still don't quite get how Green Lantern had so much trouble got about against the guy that threw sticks. But what can I say? Well, he was yellow. There were yellow sticks. Well, yeah, but he had that blue one too. Yeah. I don't know. But you know what is really cool is that this is a Superman show, so we don't have. To, well, ironically, we have Green Lantern in it though. Ha 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 ha! And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we have Mike on the show. Sort of. Um. Well, that was part of the reason. But the other reason. I'm going to get into later. So, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <should> know about? <laughs> it's a surprise. Okay. I'm a little terrified uh, too. <laughs> well, look at that. You guys made me cough. Um, is that all you do, Mike? Um, wow, isn't that enough? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I used to co-host I was... Legends of the Batman, but that show is um no more. It's it's resting at the moment and um I don't do reviews or anything anywhere. I so, yeah. Okay. All right. So, after a couple of promos, we'll let Michael tell us all about this month's issue of Superman. Messages. We'll be right back. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton. 
The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at GreatCrypton.com Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at greenlanternslight.com. Presenting Superman. All right, so our first issue this uh, this episode is Superman number 261, cover dated February 1973, and it was released around December 14, 1972. It had uh, a whopping price of 20 cents for 32 pages. Our cover is by Nick Carty, and our story, our 24-page story, is called Slave of Star Sapphire. Surprisingly, it's never been reprinted. Creative team, we have story by Carrie Bates, art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, and editing by Julie Schwartz. Our story opens as Lois Lane is covering the exhibition of the Star Sapphire Gem, which is on loan from a Coast City collector. After being given a replica Star Sapphire uniform by the museum curator and some really uncomfortable dialogue that I'm not going to recap, Lois ruminates on what it must be like to have a secret identity while we cut to a helicopter on the outskirts of Metropolis. On board the helicopter is Clark Kent. With his telescopic vision, everyone's favorite TV newsman spies, spies wanted criminal Max Fenton, strapped with nitroglycerin and doing shots inside the Green Lantern Tavern. Pushing the emergency eject button, Clark and his sleeping seatmate rocket from the chopper and land safely on our roof below. After slipping away, Superman heads to the tavern to confront Fenton. But back aboard the helicopter is none other than Carol Ferris, secretly the villainous Star Sapphire. A girl without reason, without fear, only savage instinct. 
Seeing the sign for the Green Lantern Tavern, Carol's mind undergoes a strange transformation, and she watches as Superman uses his super breath to blow out the tavern, enter, and begin a hand-to-hand battle with Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Seething with ever-increasing anger, she sees the Man of Steel subdue the Emerald Gladiator, ultimately strangling Green Lantern with his cape, killing him. At least that's what Carol thinks she sees. In reality, Superman has lashed out at Fenton, who grew dizzy, fainted, and was taken into custody by the Man of Steel without incident. However, crushed by the believed death of her, lo- of her lover, Carol swears vengeance. I must have justice. I shall hunt the Kryptonian, track him down, overpower him, and make him my slave. Yes, Superman will be doomed to serve Star. Yes, Superman will be doomed to serve Star Sapphire forever. But first, I must recover the source of my power. I sense it is nearby. Meanwhile, at the museum, the curator realizes the gem is actually a replica, and that the real gem must be in the costume he gave to Lois. We cut to the Galaxy Communications building where Lois runs into Clark, and after spying the the, uh, costume in her bag, Clark concocts a plan to give Lois a hard time about having a secret identity, because after all, turnabout is fair play. As Carol bullies her way through the building looking for the gem, Clark uses his heat vision to spring the electronics in Lois's desk, revealing the costume. After making Lois squirm and being told off in return, the Star Sapphire gem suddenly spins into the air and flies out of the room under its own power. Clark runs after it, but the gem is too fast, and it slips around the corner into the waiting hands of Carol. And after a flash of light, the Star Sapphire lives again. Clark spins the corner only to get hit by an energy blast and thrown to a set of elevator doors for his trouble. Clark plummets down the shaft, crashing into the top of the elevator car and causing the cable to snap. Clark is able to recover and catch the car mere inches before it hits the ground. Towing it back up the shaft, he ties off the cable, then switches to Superman and heads outside to confront Star Sapphire, who subsequently begins to whip him up and down the street. Superman comments that he's normally able to hold his own, But then again, he's usually not fighting a female opponent. Just then, the sky turns a blood red, and with a flash of light, the Superman of Earth 2 appears, throws Superman into a nearby wall, and screams, You're not fighting a woman now! Okay, no. What? (laughs) I'm like reading along like, wait, this doesn't happen, and then I realize, oh. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute, where's that? Okay, that's not really what happens at all. I thought that would get a bigger laugh, but apparently it didn't. No, I laughed. I had it on mute. So did I. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, in all the commotion of of getting his butt kicked, Superman loses track of Star Sapphire, allowing her to sneak up behind the guy with super senses and chain the gem around his neck, putting the Man of Steel under her thrall. Despite the fact that Star Sapphire has commanded him not to move, Superman is able to use super ventriloquism to call out to Lois inside the galaxy building. And no, I'm not making up that part. Star Sapphire further demonstrates her power over Superman by having him kiss her boot before ordering him to destroy the galaxy building and everyone in it. Superman flies towards the building, but his way is suddenly blocked by Star Sapphire. Or at least Lois wearing a Star Sapphire costume. Lois orders Superman to fly straight up into the air and, confused by the two villains, does so before being ordered by Lois to fly back down. Superman's flip causes the gem to slip off his neck, freeing the Man of Steel from Star Sapphire's control. Catching the gem, the real Star Sapphire says Superman has won this time, 
but swears she will return someday for vengeance before disappearing. And as Superman thanks Lois for her aid, we cut to an epilogue the next day where Carol Ferris wanders in a haze, reading a newspaper about Green Lantern's latest exploits and feeling as if some great weight has been lifted from her mind, but unable to place exactly what. Will the deadly Astral Queen come forth again? Only a future story will tell. She doesn't come for, for Superman that I'm aware of. Right. I don't, I don't think so. Not in a Superman book, anyway. You guys would know better. But very good, man. Yeah, was only your first time covering, or second time covering a Bronze Age Superman town. It's like you've been doing it before. Yeah. C- congratulations. Well, thank you. Level up. <laughs> you get plus 10 experience points. Woo! Congratulations, man. That means your life meter goes a little bit bigger. Yep. Cool. Couple, oh, of, couple of extra hearts. <laughs> Yay! The princess is in another castle. I was going to get So who wants to start out with their notes? Uh, <laughs> Dave, you go first. Yeah, I only have a, a few page-by-page notes, because there was a lot of facepalm moments for me. Uh, starting with page four. So this guy is just hanging around a bar with nitroglycerin strapped to him, taking shots. Where's the problem? I do that all the time. That's my normal Wednesday. <laughs> That's right before you go to the comic shop, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get myself all psyched up. Um, and then the, the whole ejector seat. You have the the lady on the helicopter just quietly. <laughs> oh, looks like they must have accidentally ejected. Oh, dear. Like, it happens all the time. <laughs> and the dude sleeps through it, too. Yeah, and is the, I have a note on that. Is that oh. supposed to resemble Julia Schwartz? I had a note about that, too. I wasn't sure. Because it, it looks like a skinny Julia Schwartz. With a smaller nose. Yeah, I could, be, I could believe it's supposed to be him. Okay. Especially since he had such a... Uh, he also was big with the Green Lantern stuff, so that would make sense. True. And I kind of, I had a hard time buying in that Superman has the exact amount of pressure to blow the tavern apart without touching the uh, the, the the criminal inside. Well, he was able well, to calculate that it was exactly four thousand five hundred fifty-four cubic feet using his super brain. Is he Rain Man now? He's Superman. No, he's Superman. Yeah. He's got, he's got a Kryptonian super mind. It's the Bronze Age, remember? Yeah, okay. Okay, I gotta release certain things. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But that this one kind of... It, that one actually took me out of the story a little bit. But I did like Carol seeing... You know, in her head, she saw Hal. Because, let's be yeah, honest, Carol cool. is... Uh, how do I say this? She's crazy. Yeah. I'll go with that. Well, the whole Star Sapphire thing for her was her just basically losing her mind to to this power, which is kind of fascinating. It just doesn't play out... It doesn't play out as dramatically here as it will other places. Mm-hmm. But still, I like that Carol and Star Sapphire is a flawed villain. She's not out specifically to technically outright do evil stuff, but she's kind of a... She's schizo. She's a little bit schizo. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. I've always thought that was cool about Star Sapphire. And definitely we get a little inkling of that, but there's a lot more to it. And I also like Clark saving the elevator in his own, you know, in the Clark Kent form. And then we get a chest rip. Game on. Other than that, I mean, I didn't have any specific notes. I ended up really getting into the story in the second half when it really got going. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I'm, I'm light on notes. I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> of course, I like Kurt Swan. Yeah, the art's awesome. Yeah. I always found it funny that Michael Bailey is not a Kurt Swan fan. Yeah, him and Scott Gardner. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. That's nice to have a little deviation because most Superman fans are used to kneeling at the altar of Swan. Yeah. I, I, they seem to like... They kind of like his version of the characters. It's the dynamic fighting and that kind of stuff that they're not a fan of. It can be awkward, and often yeah. is. Especially... Well, some of it, though, you got to keep in mind, too, is just the era where he was. They weren't... At least in the DC Comics, they weren't quite doing it quite as much True. as like Marvel. Well, here you they get weren't... it's it's awkward in this issue even. Yes, because you have I mean specifically page twenty three. He's trying to on panel two doing this weird flip, and it just looks goony. But the facial expressions are fantastic. So it's kind of half a dozen one six of the other, and here I mean it came off awkward in some parts, but his Lois looked great. It was updated compared to what we think of as a Kurt Swan Lois with the pillbox hat. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, except for a few awkward spots, the art in this issue was fantastic. I, oh, think, yeah, totally. I think some of that may have gone more a little bit more towards the inker. I don't know. Yeah. Well, as far as my notes, um, <laughs> I actually found, uh, have, a, have a couple. Um, first of all, I kind of like it's not my favorite version, but I do kind of like Kurt Swan's version of Green Lantern. Um, other than the fact that the colorist didn't get to color his ring green on page two. But it looks pretty cool. Um, I like that, well, I, I, as I mentioned, um, I do like that the guy sleeps through the whole thing with the parachute up until the whoosh from Superman wakes him up. Somehow flying out of a helicopter and floating down to a, <laughs> to the building does nothing, but Superman's whoosh makes him wake up. Um, beyond that, uh, when we get to... Well, I, I like, actually, the way they switch things around and get, let Clark go after Lois for having a super, or secret identity for once. Yeah. Um, after the whole Silver Age, it's nice to, that they finally let Clark get back to her get back at her for once and not um, and not necessarily in a mean spirited way for for once exactly i'm going to mess with lois's head for fun <laughs> yeah that's golden age um but no i like uh page what 17 i like how even though he's doing the super stunts and everything as in the clark can't close his spit curl has come down to indicate that he's still superman and i like that it's like a little it's just a little visual cue that he's being super, even though he's in his Clark outfit. Yes, it's a it's a little detail thing. Most people probably might have missed it. I don't. I'm not saying you guys did, but some people would miss it, and it was just one of those things that you have to kind of be eagle eye to notice. Um, and I also liked, despite the weird fight, um, that when they had the two different star sapphires, that Swan made a point of making sure that the two hairdos were different. Um, Carol has the part down the middle, kind of like the mid-90s soccer player do, and Lois comes out and she's got a hair, her hair parted to the one side, 
so you can tell it's another visual cue so you can tell oh, the yeah. difference as to which star sapphire we're looking at so I thought that was pretty cool and I like the wink at the end uh, just because it's a classic thing that you like to see in a Superman book very George Reeves-ish yes George Reeves very uh, 60's filmation cartoon mm -hmm. um, very Silver Age. Silver Age Kurt Swan yeah but yeah and therefore I like the book Mike? all because of the wink well, yeah, the wink makes the whole thing. Um, do we want to talk about the cover? Sure. Yeah. I think this is a fine cover. I'm just... It's not really exploitative, but it it just is somewhat suggestive for this era. I mean, I know this is in the middle of the women's lib movement. It's And it's... I mean, it's not outrageously suggestive. There, there is far worse on the stands today, but it's just—it stands out. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it, definitely. yeah. There's an implication there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But still, I mean, I think it's a nice cover. It's, it's well drawn and laid out, and definitely eye-catching. Um, I'm not really too much of a fan of the basic design on the covers from this period, with the two giant circles at the top and the, the flying Superman. It's just all very cumbersome and I think at times it detracts from the actual cover art but that's not necessarily a comment on, on this particular cover just kind of an overall comment um, well that makes sense too because that's like it takes up like the top what third top quarter of the, right. of the cover that right. they can't really do anything with yeah that's just but. more of a, a design aesthetic problem that I have with it um, yeah. overall in the story I I had a lot of fun doing the synopsis for this story but it's one of those that I think I would have enjoyed more if I was not covering it on a podcast. I mean, I'm glad <laughs> you invited me on and all that, but it's just, it's a lot like popcorn. It's fine for a snack, but you just don't want to make a meal out of it mm -hmm. because you're just going to get a stomach ache. It's very Silver Age-ish, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because Silver Age stories are great, and I love the Silver Age, but you just can't apply a lot of logic to them. Um... I do want to stress I don't hate this story. I mean, it was fun and entertaining as far as that goes. Um, it's just one of those where my page-by-page -page notes are largely negative, but I'll, I'll try to keep it uh, brief and not nitpick, nitpick too much. Um, pages 1 and 2, did we really need two pages of recap on Star Sapphire? I mean, <laughs> page 1 is, is almost a complete waste because there's nothing that is uh, explained there that couldn't have been explained with a tweak of the dialogue on page 2. And it's really not very well drawn either. I love me some Kurt Swan, even more when he's inked by Murphy Anderson, but this is just not a great page for the opening splash of a book. No. I, lo I look at yeah. it and it's like, meh, okay, next. You know, it, it doesn't get me excited at all for the story. I kind of appreciate what he was going for by splitting the page, but it just didn't work. Yeah. And yeah. I'm wondering why Superman's sitting on a pancake. It makes no sense. Because IHOP was sponsoring this issue. Ah, okay. That makes sense then. This issue of Superman is brought to you by IHOP. Um, <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but Star Sapphire is kind of a weird choice for a villain in, in, at this point in time, given that Green Lantern hadn't even had a book for nearly a year. I mean, he was in uh, backup stories in The Flash, but he hadn't had an actual... There wasn't a Green Lantern title for almost a year at this point. Yeah, it's kind of like, why would they bother? Right. But, um... Moving on to page three. Um, 
Lois, when a creepy guy at a museum suggests you put on a skimpy outfit and model it for him, just run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's only a replica. It's not the real thing, but... Still, it's... it's... I'm sure you'd look awesome in it. Yeah, still. There's all kinds of jokes I could make, but I'm not going to. This is a family podcast. <laughs> yeah, you could go down a dark road with those. Page four, the ejector switch, which is just a giant red button, is on the armrest. I mean, that's completely safe. <laughs> what if they get it confused with an ar- with like a cup holder? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or the uh, w- the the call flight attendant button. Yeah, there you, maybe, maybe that's the... what they're hoping for. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I think David brought it up. But why would a helicopter have built-in ejector seats anyway? Doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense to me. Especially if you look at it, the um, it looks like all of them do. But that right. second one, you're gonna hit that bar, that beam with the with wheels. The landing gear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're just gonna go pong and die. So it doesn't really matter. It's like Goose and Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. The canopy doesn't open all the way. And it's a jet. That's really cool. Poor Goose. (laughs) Page five. Sorry. Page five, we talked about how Clark just, you know, this guy sleeps all the way down, and then Clark just leaves him on the roof, which I thought was pretty hilarious. And then he goes to the Green Lantern Tavern, and we get a a footnote about Action Comics number 317, which is just a very obscure reference. Um, I actually looked up (laughs) that story to double-check my memory, and in that story, Superman is exposed to red kryptonite, which causes his face to change color in relation to his emotions. And Clark spends the rest of the story trying to hide that fact from Lois, of course, because this is in the height of the Silver Age. Of course. And at one point, they see a newly married couple, and his face turns green because he's envious. So he zips away at super speed and moves the Green Lantern Tavern to where they're at so that the the light from that lantern turns the whole area green, and and she doesn't notice his... um, Green face. It's it's just a very small part of that story, and it just seems kind of a random thing to reference. But um, pages six and seven, I don't know how believable the science is behind what Superman does here, but I really dig the the bottom panel on page six where you see Superman using his super breath and the tavern exploding, and there's this huge cloud of dust and this uh, big kaboom sound effect. That was a, a really nice panel. I really hope he rebuilds it. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that's that's it. or an insurance claim is involved. Exactly, but it's 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 this era of Superman. Yeah, he probably rebuilt it. Pages eight and nine. I I uh, more credit to Swan here. I really liked how he was able to show us what was actually happening side by side with what Carol thought she was seeing. My only complaint is that I would have altered the coloring somewhat on Carol's vision, but I at the same time I understand that the color palette wasn't. Uh, it was much more limited than what we have today. Yeah. Yeah. Pages 11 through 13, I love Clark plotting to get back at Lois by teasing her about start, about about being Star Sapphire. That was very funny, but again, something I would have expected in a story from five or ten years prior to this one. You know, not a, not a Bronze Age story. Page 16, I am... This is one of the problems I had with this story. I'm calling junk on the fact that Clark's fall snapped the elevator cable. He says, this elevator would have broken the fall of a normal man, but not me. And I'm like, no, he's the same height and weight as a normal man. I mean, he's 6'4", 225 pounds. 
So it shouldn't make a difference unless he's using his muscles or, or flight powers to ram the elevator, which... I think... Okay. I think... And I, I have never actually seen them state this, but I think there's some kind of understanding that in order to maintain that weight, he actually does, like, subconsciously uh, use his flight powers to keep him at a reasonable weight. But because of his... Um, something with the being Kryptonian his bot and being denser, his body is naturally heavier. Because they've mentioned... There's several especially in the Bronze Age comics that I've read, where he's supposed to be pretending to be out, or he is knocked out, and they always comment, God, this guy's heavy. Okay. But so I'm he, not... He, like, floats his molecules or something? Kind. It's like a subconscious, using his flight powers to kind of lessen how much weight he puts on the ground, I guess. They don't actually, I don't think, I have never read anything where they actually come out and state it. I think, I, I don't even know where I read that idea. But I think that's supposed to be an understanding that that's what happens. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I'll buy it. It's comic books. Page 17, I, I like how Clark just ties the elevator cable in a knot, because that would totally work. <laughs> um, it, it is a great sequence on these two pages, though, when he's saving the elevator. You know, nice art by Swan and Anderson. Evident by the fact that there's really not coloring on these pants. They just put some like tonal highlights in there because he's in the dark, so it's mostly mm -hmm. gray. Um, page 18, we had another great page of art. Um, they show us the three panels of Superman changing his you know, the transformation and then juxtaposed with the three panels of Star Sapphire wreaking havoc. Uh, we had a good uh, shirt rip there, and, and I like in the last panel how they show him stuffing his clothes into the cape pouch which I like seeing mm -hmm. page 20 I made fun of it in my synopsis Superman says well I, I didn't really make fun of it but I, I was joking around about it he says usually I don't take so much flack without returning my share but usually I'm not fighting a female foe and the rules of the game I play don't allow for striking a woman I, I love that I just love that scene even though I was making fun of it <laughs> um, pages page 20 through 23 we have the big showdown and again, I take issue with this because while Lois's trick was a fun gimmick, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever because it's not the gem that causes Superman to be hypnotized, but Carol using her mind through the gem. So Lois shouldn't have been able to control Superman just by putting on the fake Star Sapphire costume. Yeah, that's a good point. Touche. <laughs> I, mean, I, I completely missed it. I completely missed it too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an alright story. I, it just feels like something that should have been published five to ten years prior to what it was. But I enjoyed it. So That's and all I, I had. I think it's funny. None of us pointed out the 800-pound gorilla in the room in the fact that Carol and Lois are pretty much the same character. Right. Yes. They are the same character, and they look pretty much identical. Mm -hmm. They even, at the beginning of the... Um, beginning of the issue, they actually call yeah, the, the museum curator says, um, perhaps you should pose in it, part of that creepy dialogue I talked about, perhaps you should pose in it Miss Lane, whoever the sapphire girl was you two sure look alike so mm -hmm. yeah, it, uh, it makes no sense well actually the, it makes sense but is this the first use of super ventriloquism in the bronze age? no 
No, okay. It has been used before. And once again, it is not my favorite power. Well, no. And I'm glad that Burn got rid of it. But you know, there's somebody out there that does like super ventriloquism. I don't know who that is, but there's Well, if you're listening somebody. to this show, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think it's a corny power. And it just screams of, we wrote Superman into a corner, and I have no way of getting him out, so I'm going to invent this super ventriloquism to get him out of the problem. Or he shoots a small version of himself out of his hand. There's that too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the rainbow fingers. Don't ever call so. it that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, well... um. Does anyone else have anything else to say about Superman 261? No, I think Michael hit it on the head that this is a Silver Age story. It actually belonged quite securely in the Silver Age. In that context, it's great. Yes, it's actually really good for for a Silver Age story. Uh, it's like Silver Age with Bronze Age art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do that. That's cool, and it makes sense that it would. It. I think what helps make it so silver agey too is that it does have star staff star sapphire. I'm glad I'm not the only one that has trouble saying that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of laughed when you did that. The star sapphire. Yeah, but... star sapphire. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it makes sense, you know, because obviously she was a silver age creation, and they would have been trying to pimp her out to other books. That would make sense. Yeah. And Green Lantern, but. Uh, yeah, you're totally right. It definitely is a Silver Age book, a Silver Age story. Although I don't know that they would have had the drinking in the Silver Age. He probably would have been in a grocery store getting shots of milk or something. He just would have been a <laughs> random, random criminal that somebody saw on the street. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually surprised they had a Green Lantern Tavern in a Silver Age book. That wouldn't have been. Well, that would have been late Silver Age. Yeah. Oh, so maybe it was a little, not as bad. Quite quite as enforced then, but I would think with it being Silver Age and the comics code, they would have been like, no, 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 no. In the comic world, no one drinks. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, anyway. Um, okay, so I guess we're finished with that one then. Uh, after a couple more promos, we will be right back with Action Comics 421. After these messages, we'll be right On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. That's not true. That's impossible. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions? He likes it. He likes it. Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right, 
or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures falling from the sky, speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libsyn.com. nineteen ninety two the greatest hero the world has ever known died defending his city from a force of nature that force of nature had a name From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is a weekly internet radio program presented by the Superman homepage in association with the Superman Podcast Network. Every week, hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor examine the comic book adventures of Superman from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. Now they begin their coverage of the epic Death and Return of Superman trilogy with the first chapter of that story, Doomsday. From the first round to the ultimate sacrifice, Mike and Jeff will go through Doomsday in detail with the occasional special guest and a few surprises as well. Doomsday comes to From Crisis to Crisis, beginning December 2011 at both www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and www.supermanhomepage.com. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Action Comics number 421 had an on-sale date of December 28, 1972, so right after Christmas and my grandma's birthday. Happy birthday, Charles Grandma. Yeah, I don't know how old she would have been then because I don't know really how old she is now, but she would have been a lot younger. Um, the cover price was 20 cents. Does your grandma listen to the show? My grandma doesn't know how to work a computer. Oh, so that would be a no then. Yeah. You should be a good grandson and download them for her, stick them on an iPod and say, here you go. Or, put, or burn them to CD. There you go. Or right, well, there you go. Put, put, them, on, put them on vinyl. <laughs> I was about yeah, to say that, yeah. <laughs> put them on a record. I think she could get half of one on... What one side? <laughs> Should have to flip it over to get the other half of the episode. That'd be actually kind of funny. When you hear the uh, tone, turn the record over. You'll know it's time to turn over the record. When Michael goes, oh oh oh, you'll know it's time to turn the page. Okay, uh, Action Comics number four twenty. Oh, I already said all that. Anyway, the cover price was twenty cents. I uh, had a cover by Nick Cardi.
featuring Superman in a phone booth. Who would have thought? Being attacked by Popeye the Sailor Man, apparently. Maybe it's Robin Williams. Oh, I'm Popeye the Sailor anyway. Man. <laughs> um, for those that don't know, Robin Williams played the, the titular sailor in Popeye from the early 80s. Yes, and he was, and ironically, he was good friends with Christopher Reeve, who, if you don't know, played Superman in the first four Superman movies of the late 70s and up to the mid-80s. Actually, yeah, that's... It's actually very sweet, because I know Robin Williams footed a lot of Christopher Reeve's medical bills. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, not all of them, but, I mean, he definitely helped out financially. And he's definitely he's been one of the spokespeople, especially late, especially since he's passed, of uh, the Christopher Reeve Foundation. Yep, Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, which you can find online and donate to for this holiday season. The story is The Fantastic Feats of Captain Strong, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and edited by Julie Schwartz. And this story was reprinted in Best of DC Digest number 48, which sported a May 1984 cover date featuring a whole bunch of team-ups of heroes. Mostly Superman, but there's some others. Um, but that's okay. we'll get to that later. Um, our story begins with Billy Anders, who we know from some of our more recent episodes as Superman's friend and Clark Kent's neighbor, uh, as he's telling Clark about the time he decided to, that he likes Batman more than Superman and was playing in a Batman costume on the docks at a condemned warehouse and fell through some rotten boards. Trapped under the debris that was too heavy for him to move, he started shouting for help, and when he saw the warehouse doors being busted down, he thought his friend Superman had arrived to save the day. However, it turned out to be a tattooed, bald sailor who was able to toss away the debris like feathers and introduce himself as Captain Strong. We then cut to the present where Billy is finishing his story by asking Clark to let Superman know that Captain Strong would like the hero's autograph. Clark tells Billy that he'd, he'd like to interview the good captain, as well as usher the young boy out of his office. As Billy is leaving, Clark's telescopic vision spots a bulletin coming in over the wire about a whirlpool 12 miles outside of Metropolis Harbor. Recognizing a job for Superman when he sees one, he puts Identity Protection Plan 7 into effect by placing a sign on his office door that states, Deadline to meet, no interruptions. Inside his office, he activates a sound effects tape of him typing on a typewriter to make it sound like he's actually working, then switches to Superman and flies off to the whirlpool. By the time he arrives on the scene, three Coast Guard cutters have been pulled into the whirlpool, so he fashions a large, strong magenta chain, which he connects to all three of the boats and pulls them out of the whirlpool. Then, with the whirlpool spinning in a clockwise motion, he flies in a counterclockwise motion to create a tornado to counteract the whirlpool. Eventually, both forces of nature cancel each other out, and all that's left is some foam floating on the water. The next day, at Glute Foods, Captain Strong meets up with, his, with CEO Mr. Glute, because we never actually get his first name, to try to get him to sell Sancha, the organic food that gives the captain his strength, so that it can help people all over the world. But he doesn't trust Mr. Glute enough to tell him where it grows, or to provide him with a sample, because he believes that Glute will just try to produce more of it himself for the money. So Glute refuses Strong's offer. So Strong leaves and meets up with Billy in the reception area, and while they are sad that they failed this time, Billy tells the captain about his visit with Clark and that Superman might help him. This conversation is overheard by Glute, who has had his building bugged, and he comes up with a plan. The next day, Superman pays a visit to Captain Strong's houseboat, 
The captain is so honored by Superman's visit and autograph that he gives him a big pouch of Sancha. So Superman takes his leave, telling the captain that he has friends that will be more cooperative than Glute. He then dives into the water, stating that Captain stating to Captain Strong that he was going to drive away a school of sharks that was coming into the harbor. However, ten minutes later, we see Superman climb out of the water, walk down to a phone booth, and remove a mask, revealing that it really isn't Superman. The stranger then calls Mr. Glute, stating that the disguise worked perfectly and that he now has a large sample of Sancha. Unfortunately for him, Captain Strong is just outside the phone booth, eating some Sancha. He picks up the phone booth and turns it upside down, telling the stranger that he made a mistake because there are no sharks within 500 miles of Metropolis Bay. As he eats some more Sancha, Billy shows up in time to hear the captain threaten to get Glute as well and run off. Fortunately, just then, an advertising van with a loudspeaker rolls by, so Billy flags the guy down and, with the driver's help, starts calling for Superman to get to the Glute building as soon as possible. Elsewhere in the city, riding in a cab, Clark picks up the message with his super hearing, so he uses his super breath to force the accelerator down so that the cab driver loses control and the cab runs off the road into some bushes. When the driver turns around to apologize, he sees the Clark is gone, but has left his cab fare behind. At the Glute building, Strong has showed up and is destroying Glute's desk while he eats some more of the Sancha. He is about to hit Glute with a super-powered punch when Superman busts through the wall, catching the punch with his own hand, and flies off with the captain in tow. But the Sancha has made Strong crazed, and he actually punches Superman hard enough for him to lose his grip on the captain, who is then able to basically swim away through the sky. After the pair exchange a few more blows, Captain Strong lands on a building to eat more Sancha, but finds that he has run out. So he quickly flies off with Superman, following close behind, believing that the Sancha is like a drug that the captain has become hooked to. They soon arrive at the site of the Whirlpool, which after two days still has foam floating on the water. Which Superman now believes... Oh, and Superman now believes that this was actually set up by Strong to keep people away from the Sancha. Strong soon emerges from the water, carrying all of the remaining Sancha. Superman snatches it all out of his hands just before the captain suddenly experiences a withdrawal seizure. So Superman quickly grabs him and takes him to a hospital. Days later, Superman and Billy meet up with Captain Strong in his hospital room, where Superman reveals to both of them the Sancha was actually an alien vegetation from another planet. But since there are billions of other worlds out there, there really is no way to trace it back to its source. So Captain Strong then vows that he's finished with Sancha and will only eat good old Earth food from now on. The end. So since Michael was last last time, and since we know he has a ton of notes on this one, I think we should let him go first. Okay. No, I actually have a lot less notes on this one. Um, on the cover, I love this cover. It's very fun. Captain Strong's arms are way out of proportion to the rest of his body, but it's kind of a comedic cover anyway, so I can forgive that. And I kind of dig that this turns out not to be Superman on the cover. I, I'm not sure why that makes me enjoy the cover more, but anyway. Uh, for my page-by-page, page, pages one and two, I like how they started the story with this annoying little kid relating his story to Clark. Kind of different. And I, I really like the art on these opening pages, too. Again, more love for... Swan and Anderson. Page four, like Charlie said, Clark and X, identity protection plan number seven. Do you imagine Clark sitting in his fortress of solitude just concocting these elaborate 
Rube Goldbergian schemes to, you know, <laughs> fool people into thinking he's working. Um, uh, I can picture it. Page 10, and we're going to file this under Valuable Life Lessons Learned from Comic Books. Hitching a ride with a strange man advertising free beer from his van is always a good idea. I mean, <laughs> how could that go wrong, right? Especially when he looks like Tonto. <laughs> yes. I actually had that in my notes. Me too. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Page 13, I'm kind of doubting the physics behind Captain Strong doing this, you know, thrashes fresh air currents with his arms and swim through the sky. But I am thinking this could explain how the Golden Age Superman did his aerial maneuvering before he actually started to fly. Well, yeah. If you move, do it fast enough, that would make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all, but still. Yeah. Well, no, but still, I'm just trying to help. Nice try, Charlie. I tried. We were were talking earlier about Kurt Swan's uh, people not being Kurt Swan fans because he couldn't draw good action scenes, and and I I agree that was a weak point in his art. But I thought the action on this page was a little better. With we we see Superman kicking uh, Captain Strong in the back, and then Captain Strong looping around and getting uh, Swan in the chin. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you meant Superman. Superman there. in the chin. Yeah, there you go. But uh, but yeah, this you know. He, it's not great, you know. Another artist would have probably done a better job on it, but this is one of the better, I think, examples of Kurt Swan drawing action. And that's all I had on this one. Um, I really liked it. I just didn't have many notes. Um, I kind of wish they would have played it a little more for laughs, since Captain Strong is very clearly a riff on Popeye. But I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I could totally hear. Well, actually, that's part of my notes. So yes, I completely agree. Um, I guess I'll go next since I was second last time. Um, wait, what? I don't okay, know. I'm just, go ahead. I'm, yeah, it's my show. It. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm just I see kidding. how it is. Yeah, see, um, page Girls, one. Stop fighting. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go straight home. I'll go and b- slap. You. No, I'm just kidding. Whoa. Uh, no, I'm gonna take it out. Don't worry. Oh, it's um, now. <laughs> uh, anyway, page one. Uh, as I mentioned, despite being Superman's friend and all, apparently Billy would rather pretend to be Batman. Or maybe it's just that Batman's costume is easier to buy in Metropolis. I don't know. Um, that vulnerable Kryptonian material is pretty limited. so It is, yes. Good point. Um, totally, when you saw the, uh, the... Once you found out that it was the captain breaking through that door, I totally heard that... Anyway. Uh, the, the Popeye theme song uh-huh. for those who didn't catch that um, I did find it interesting so going back to the cover now that I've skipped ahead they really tried to mess with the proportion on Captain Strong's arms to kind of do a kind of realistic version of Popeye with his giant forearms but Swan doesn't do any of that in the book he keeps the tattoo but he just looks like a regular guy with a bald head and a big chin right um He's also not wearing a sailor's hat most of the time. Yeah, you don't even, actually for the most part. Uh, it just kind of looks like he's got Lex Luthor's prison outfit on, but with the little striped shirt underneath. Um, to me, for the most part, apparently it's the only outfit he wears though. He's like a roided-up Charlie Brown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yes, that's exactly what I what I would have said had I thought of it. Um. Uh, page three. Uh, Clark sends Billy off without answering his question, 
and without finding out more about Captain Strong, but if he believed in Billy's story, I would think he'd be a little more interested in this really strong guy that is able to move debris around like feathers. I don't know. It's the Bronze Age, there's a ton of really strong guys like that. Well, yeah, but he likes to meet all the new ones. Not true. Especially if they have their own book, he goes and meets up with them in the, like, the first or second issue. That way you but sell. Exactly. It's like, oh, this is a DC book. It's got su- okay. I got you. Um, Superman and monkeys. Exactly. Gorillas and monkeys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, page. I don't really have anything up until page eight. And the note I have for that is, uh, first of all, uh, Glute has that whole building bugged. Now. Clark once accused Morgan Edge in a thought balloon that Morgan Edge probably had the WGBS building and his helicopter in the helicopters and the mobile news van and everything bugged. And I thought he was just kind of a joke in his head, you know? But I didn't actually expect that anyone would do that. And I'm guessing they actually would. Which makes me believe people in buildings less. Or, yeah, people in buildings. Uh, the CEOs of buildings less. Let's put it that way. Um, well, that's pretty normal, not bug, but I mean, if you go into even a bank, a lot of Starbucks even, there are now cameras. That's it's a normal thing. Well, yeah, it's it's secure. It's secure. Well, I, okay, this is the difference. It's like tw- the 21st century. I would be used to security cameras, mm-hmm. but bugging just seems like a doesn't well, seem more, it seems more like uh, eavesdropping than security to me. But then again, I'm not from, you know, wasn't alive in 1972, 73, so I, I probably have a different viewpoint on it. Um, but page 8 again also, um, only in fiction could someone have a disguise that looks so real that it would fool <laughs> someone into thinking you're actually somebody else. Yeah. Now... With Batman, I could see it, because, you know, all you've got is the chin. But with Superman, you have the whole head, and, yeah, apparently the hair looked real. It's the Mission the, Impossible the face. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, only in fiction, because you can't do that. Not even today, in real life, you can't do that. It, they get close, but it still looks fake. You can't, no. Even the best makeup artist in Hollywood couldn't do that, no. Well, you know. With Not the... to fool somebody when you're standing two foot away from them. Well, right, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, with the CGI and stuff now, you can. But no. so in movies they can make it oh, look like. Talking it. like. Oh no! In real life, you cannot. Only in fiction can you do that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. You can uh, edit all that out. Okay. We'll see. Uh, page eleven. I like that Clark still paid his fare. It's very. It's a very Clark slash Superman thing to do. It made me think of that. Um scene we were talking about on my show a few episodes ago where he uh where they crashed through the toll gate. Yeah, he still and then you were yelling because he well you weren't yelling, but you were you, you were criticizing it because he didn't pay the toll and they just left. Yeah. I thought he did pay the toll. He didn't pay the fines for all the other stuff. Oh that's what it was. Yeah. Well yeah. I knew it. yeah anyway. But yeah. Yeah. Actually I thought about the exact same thing. I was like, this harkens back to the Superman radio show, but you know. Um but then I realized it was a toll, not a f- cap. Anyway, where was I? Twelve, page twelve. Um, these days, um, Glute would totally come back and sue Captain Strong for all he's worth, and then some. And if it was in the comics, it would probably be a subplot that would last for at least twelve issues, maybe more. And come out in a hardback edition and a paperback. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
and yeah, and it would be there if maybe even an absolute, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, if DC did it, if uh, who does? Is it everyone else does like an omnibus? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then page fourteen. Only in a Superman book would it be alien vegetation. Maybe in a Green Lantern book too. But like, I would think that in a Flash book, it would be maybe some kind of scientifically created uh, vegetation and maybe in a Batman book that would happen or it would somehow be a mutated thing well, in Marvel books in Batman book, probably. yeah there you go if it was a Marvel book it would be some kind of radiation mutated <laughs> plant right so yeah but only in Superman and maybe Green Lantern would it be alien I mean it, it, it works I guess but it's just one of those things that's very Supermanish, but um, other than that, I just I thought it was a, a fun little story. It's not perfect, but it's a fun story uh, with great art. And of course, like Mike said, uh, Captain Strong is the DC Comics version of Popeye, basically, uh, who uh, actually was one of the inspirations for Superman. So it all comes full circle. Circle of life. Popeye was also the inspiration for Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong was originally right. designed to be Popeye, but the they couldn't get the license, so they put Mario in there. Um, the gorilla is in place of Bluto. Right, and the princess, or Daisy, or whatever her name is, mm-hmm. was supposed to be olive oil. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Bluto, Bluto was, for, on the Popeye radio show, Pop, uh, Bluto was voiced by Jackson Beck, Oh, was also on the Superman radio show. Popeye had a radio show? Popeye had a radio show. Wow, I didn't know it, it he had a radio show. Long, but yeah, he had a radio show. Wow, I think I think he also voiced him on the cartoons too. The Fleischer, maybe. Um, Fleischer famous, maybe. Especially the uh, the later ones, like the ones from like the fifties, maybe. That wouldn't have been the Fleischer. That would have been <coughs> Famous Studios, I guess. Yeah. Or when he had the white outfit, when Popeye had the white little outfit and the little hat, because um, he sounds different on the older ones, but the more you can't really call. I guess you could call them newer, but they're still like sixty years old. But the the ones where he's in the white sailor outfit, I I think that's that might be him too. I can't. I'm not certain, but I'm sure. I hear typing, so I'm sure someone's looking it up right yeah, now. We're googling it. <laughs> oh, I love having co-hosts on this show, so I don't have to do that. Okay. In the Paramount theatrical shorts, Bluto was voiced by a number of actors, including William Pinnell, Pat. Something I can't pronounce. Gus Wiki, Bill Bletcher, Pinto Colvig, and most notably Jackson Beck, who took over the role in 1944. Beck also supplied the voice for Brutus, because Pluto and Brutus are the same character, in the early 60s. In the 1980 live-action movie, he was portrayed by Paul L. Smith. In the in the all-new Popeye Hour and Popeye and Son, he was voiced by Alan Melvin. So yes, Jackson Beck did do the voice um, on the. Yes. And Jackson Beck was the narrator on G.I. Joe, the cartoon. Now, did they actually... I haven't watched G.I. Joe. Did they actually have a narrator, or is he wait, just wait, wait, the voiceover in the G.I. opening? Joe? No, no, I have. Okay. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, though. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I don't remember there. Yeah, I don't remember there being much of an uh, a narrator, but I remember they had the voiceover in the openings. Mm-hmm. The GI Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose: to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And GI Joe. Now I'm gonna have to find. La, 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 la. He was in the movie too, so. Yeah, they used they they used the same clip in the. Um, opening part for the movie too, so that was awesome. If I remember I correctly, there was an intro and an outro. Okay, I remember the I've seen the intro and I love the, the music for the intro is awesome. I don't know about the outro. Well, I mean, when the episode would start, I think there would be GI Joe found themselves cooking something, you know, just oh, really? very very light. It's it's not like Super Friends where you have meanwhile back at the Hall of Justice, you don't have oh, you don't meanwhile... have the Ted Knight beat by blow by blow. Gotcha. Yeah, I have. Like I said, I haven't seen an episode of G.I. Joe since I was, like, it was originally on TV, so. You need to fix that, sir. I will go back. YouTube has a ton of it. Anyway, yeah. those those intros were by Jackson Beck, who was on the, who has ties with Superman, who we're talking about. See yeah. how it all comes full there circle, folks? And he, what was he? He was the narrator on the radio show after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played somebody, too. Who else did he play on the show? Perry radio White. show. Perry White. He played Perry White later on? Yeah. Oh. And then he also narrated the uh, Filmation Superman cartoons in the 60s. Right. Yes. Correct. And did he... I think Super... He might have gotten Superboy, too. I don't remember, though. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've heard the opening to the Superboy cartoon. Well, anyway, that's all my notes. <laughs> and now we've got the Jackson Beck Hour. Um, David, what do you have? I have very, very light notes, I'll be honest with you, because um, you took several of them. And, you know, I mentioned the Tonto one. But I'm wondering, uh, I tried to find some some way to relate it. I wonder how much Captain Strong relates to Bibbo. I don't think there's much connection, because when Jerry Ordway was on Crisis, From Crisis to Crisis, he was talking about how Bibbo came about, and I'm sparse on the details in my head right now, but Bibbo was based off of someone Jerry Ordway knew when he was younger. That's right. It's like his mom or yeah. his parents owned a bar. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Correct. Yeah, and yeah. This was, was one of the he was one of the guys yeah. that would show up and hang out and actually kind of protect them or something like that too. Yeah. Um, mainly, I, I think my favorite part of this book, now that the whole Bibbo thing is off the table, <laughs> I should have known that. My favorite part of this book was the the sea rescue. I kept hearing the you know the John Williams music playing during that. Mm-hmm. A little bit of filmation in there, but that was just I like sometimes when you can just put a big plot aside and just have Superman rescuing or something straightforward, that's not a bad thing. Especially in the Bronze Age when you can actually take like two and a half pages to do it. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my, my only other note is on page 11 when he uses his super breath to push the cabbie's foot. Well, the cabbie, A, the cabbie could have been hurt and Superman should have kind of thought that through because he's in... Could have broken a toe right there. Well, no, no, not just that, but veering the car off the road. Oh, yeah, good point. And then it but that panel where he does that, it looks like he's using super spit. <laughs> like it actually grossed yes. me out a little bit. Looks like a, he's just hawked a super loogie. Yeah. Mhm. But yeah, that, that I ultimately I didn't go page by page just cuz I honestly I was having too much fun with this issue. I was having a blast reading it. I'm like I just want to I just want to enjoy it and talk about how much I enjoyed it. It was kind of that same mentality of, look, we're not going to 
do a huge blow-by-blow plot. We're just going to have a fun, straightforward story, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of modern comics are missing. Yeah, they're too big into the drama and everything. You don't get that much fun stuff anymore. Yeah. And sometimes it's just nice to open up an issue and just have fun reading. It's supposed to be a fun, it's supposed to be a hobby, it's supposed to be leisure, it's supposed to be enjoyable. Actually, you know where you mostly find your fun stuff is in the uh, the kids' books. Like the uh, ones that go after the, all the animated shows. Batman Brave and the Bold. The Batman Brave and the Bold series is awesome. Yeah, Tiny mm-hmm. Titans. That's a good mm-hmm. too, yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard good stuff about that. Was Supergirl in the eighth grade uh, or something like that? Great. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then over at Turn Marvel. Turn your brain they... off when you read it, but it's, it's good. <laughs> at Marvel, they they were doing like the Marvel Adventures books. Mm-hmm. Although, from what I've seen, they've kind of gone away from the fun so much as making them, you know, more like regular Mar- Marvel books, but a little easier, you know. A little lighter, but they they were a little more fun. Just like single issue stories, just yeah. having fun with the characters. But yeah, I totally agree. And unfortunately, those are the ones they end up canceling and doing all kinds of weird stuff with. So it's hard to find them. So um, we should probably get to that backup story. Yes, uh, backup this month is actually Green Arrow, which I was psyched to see. Uh, the story is called The Headline Maker, written by Elliot S. Magan, penciled by Sal Emendola. With inks by Jick, Jick, Dick Giordano, and this story really just jumps right into the action with Green Arrow rushing into a theater on fire, uh, fretting a bit that he has to meet his lady love Black Canary in ten minutes. He finds a group of people trapped in the balcony and fires a net arrow into the building across the street, so they actually have a means of escape by leaping out the window. Now, some of them are hesitant at first to do so, but uh, obviously everybody gets out okay and then that's when the firefighters actually arrived was after everybody's rescued uh, the press agent for the theater asks Green Arrow for a comment and GA says not to book shows in fire traps so with his hero work done Green Arrow switches to Oliver Queen and meets Dinah Lance at her flower shop where he suggests that since he doesn't have a job and his savings account is dying a slow death maybe he should be a freelance promoter and he'll start by putting Dinah's flower shop in the next day paper. next day's paper and as Green Arrow leaves, Dinah almost says that she's in love with him, but she just can't bring herself to say it. As Oliver goes to meet a reporter friend, he spots hitman Lucas Branson heading for the subway and tails him. Into and Branson heads into a phone booth where Ollie puts a listening device on the side and listens in as, a, as he uh, gets a scoop on a gangland murder plot. Apparently Branson is there to kill Boss Patterson, whoever that is. Ollie gets to the planned site of the kill, which is Erickson Circle, and he plants a siren arrow above the grating and then dials the Star City Herald, telling them that Green Arrow will be picking Branson up in front of the Pretty Bird Flower Shop, which is the name of Dinah's shop. The siren arrow goes off, which scares Branson into getting onto the train car, followed by Ollie, and at the stop for Dinah's flower shop, Ollie tricks him again by alerting the transit authority to Branson, and Branson actually gets off the train just in time to escape. And with all that, Ollie switches to Green Arrow and captures Branson in front of the flower shop, putting the shop in the paper quite clearly, as well as Green Arrow getting his first awesome action pose. Yay! Yay! Phenomenal. That's pretty awesome stuff for eight pages. It really was. A little anticlimactic, but actually pretty... I enjoyed it. I like seeing this version of Green Arrow versus, say, the Golden Age or when he was basically Batman. Mm -hmm. 
And this was kind of a, uh, it's kind of a fun story, fun era for Green Arrow. I keep forgetting that Dinah, when she's not in her Black Canary costume, is a brunette. Yeah. Well, I guess since I haven't done gone first, I'll I'll go first with notes. I like the cool scene at the beginning. Of of it's really awesome to see Green Arrow go go to work using a trick arrow, because I love Green Arrow using trick arrows. Even though I, I like that he kept the trick arrows, even though it's supposed to be a more serious Green Arrow and. Then of course I like how he ends up helping Dinah, and I love their relationship. I think they got a cool relationship. And for some reason, um, Oliver's wearing uh, Luke Skywalker boots or Han Solo boots, however you want to look at it, where they go up to his knee, even though he's not in his superhero costume. But I like how he does the trickery to set everything up and get the promotion that they need for the flower shop. So I think it all works really cool. And I like the art, even though I thought Sal Amendola sounded more like that bad guy from the Batman books. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I liked it. And it was a surprise to see that Green Arrow was in here. I, I would have thought that there would have been more of an announcement for it. And yeah, I don't remember a single announcement. It just kind of showed up. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, this issue, this issue's human target is not available. We need to put something in there fast. And I, I would rather nothing against human target, but I'd rather see Green Arrow. Um, it's yeah, because just because he's a superhero, I guess in my book anyway, yeah, it it's because of the superhero ness. Matches that a little bit better. Mike, what do you have? Um, I didn't do page by page on this one. I didn't know we were going to go over it as much as we are. Um, <laughs> I only had one note, and I, I kind of feel. Uh, bad giving it since you guys both liked the story but my only comment Uh-oh. was when did Green Arrow become a CBS sitcom? <laughs> <laughs> because that's what this feels like to me I mean you've got these you know the wacky antics of, of Green Arrow trying to get um, the picture in the paper and he's doing an impersonation of Groucho Marx and it I, to be fair I haven't read a lot of Green Arrow from this era so maybe that's just how he was written and the the sitcom stuff aside, it this feels like Green Arrow to me. The character, you know, they don't feel out of character, but just the the situation, I guess, is is what I had a problem with. But so you don't think this is winning? Yeah, no. And, okay. and next, the episode... art was really. I love the art though. The art was really awesome. And in the next episode, Green Arrow will be portrayed by Ashton Kutcher. Yay. No. No, not yay. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I didn't do page by page notes. I, 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 I kind of given up on doing that, and you know, without any extreme moments in the backup stories. But it was, it was really straightforward and fun. And yeah, it was a little bit wacky, but it was light, and I liked that. And I kind of, mm-hmm. kind of, it was a good follow up to the Captain Strong issue. Captain Strong. Story. Yeah. Because this would have been a very satisfying book that I probably, when I was eight or nine easily would have read, read and reread just for my own amusement. Oh yeah. And it's a, it's a good it's kind of a good introduction to Green Arrow without being an introduction to Green Arrow. Yeah. Cuz you you get basically all you need to know about Green Arrow and quite a bit about Black Canary, but without it seeming like you know, this is Oliver Queen. He's also Green Arrow and he doesn't have a job. But they go through all that. With, and I, I just, I don't know. I like how they fitted all the information into an eight-page story without it feeling rushed. Well, yeah, and there was a lot of background to him losing the job, uh, losing his fortune, etc. And it didn't feel like that had to come in and weigh, weigh the whole thing down. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of continuity free. Yeah. Which, with a backup story, is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you don't have enough pages to go into that stuff. <coughs> wow, go into that stuff. Um, so is that everything we've got on that? That's, That's everything I've got. Yep. yep. Well, that was easy. All right, so... Um, also, this story has not been reprinted. It's a shame. I thought I mentioned that. I may not have. If you did, I will edit my part out. Okay. And if you didn't... I will keep. I will. If, if if you did, I will. Yeah. Anyway, um. So we'll be right back, and we'll uh do some ads. After these messages, we'll be right back. The dawn of an age, the founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. Penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four is no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended this time. I shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Forecast. ffcast.libsyn.com Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's supermanhomepage.com The number one Superman fan site in the world! Supermanhomepage.com Covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com For all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. All right, ads this month. Some of them are very similar to what we've had before. Once again, our inside cover we have the Daisy BB Target Trap ad, and I think we've had that the last two months worth of issues. So we're out. We'll just kind of yeah, move on for that. We're out of jokes on that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Then we have several pages. Several pages. Now the next one I have is Sally visiting the Easy Bake Oven Toy Factory. Oh, yeah. Yes, and it's all about the Easy Bake Oven with the newest model that looks like it even has a little stove hooked to it. Probably doesn't work. 
but you can make all these little cakes, and they make the cakes look look like a lot bigger than they probably are. And they also make them look salmonella free, which they are not. Exactly. So I guess you guys had that ad too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, the next ad we got was the uh, high school diploma ad. Oh, the one for the Bruce to... Wayne School. Yes, <laughs> exactly Wayne School, but for some reason it's in Chicago instead of Gotham. I don't understand that. It's a branch campus. Ah, gotcha. Next ad is for records from Myro Bar Sales Corporation. Two dollars each. Buy two, get one free. LP stereo albums with over thirty minutes of great music. Wow. And we've got I know, that's a that's a ton, isn't it? That's like Wow. I don't know how they do it. A little upset. Uh, There's the go ahead. Okay, where's there's Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm Mm-hmm. There's the um Jeans, Jeannie Riley and Johnny Cash album. Johnny. There's the seventy-one rock hits, including such rocks, such hit songs as "Knock Three Times," "Go Away, Little Girl," "The Nickel Song," "Sweet and Innocent," "I Think I Love You," "Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted," and "Yo-Yo." I've heard That's of some exactly... hair-banging music right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then of course bubblegum hits like. The lion sleeps tonight. It's too late. One monkey don't stop. No show. What? Uh-huh. That's what it says. <laughs> one monkey don't it. stop. Yeah, no show. <laughs> that's not. That's one of my favorites. Um, without you, love the one you're with. Sweet city woman, an old-fashioned love song, and absolutely right. It's a new space-age process, bringing you stereo sound on a compact-size album, at thirty-three and a third revolutions per minute. And to think uh, now today people can have hours, days of music on their on their phone. Yeah, that's that's you could put all of these, and that's like ten megabytes at most. Mm-hmm. Although I do have a beef with one of these. Um, uh oh, which one? The Johnny Cash. I love Johnny Talk Cash. I think it's well known. I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. But uh, Jeannie C. Riley, she had one one song that was the Harper Valley PTA. Yeah, I don't know. That would make her the queen of country music, even Correct. in 1971. Yeah, Johnny. I mean, he has obviously he had obviously a storied career. I've never heard of him before. I'm just kidding. He's got a movie, and he does some cool. He well, he used to do some cool stuff. Unfortunately, he has passed away and left us. He passed away in the fall of 2003. You, you can you can almost feel David's uh, glare <laughs> as, as Charlie's talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I could just the silence was like. Oh my gosh, he hasn't heard of Johnny Cash. <laughs> it's coming through the Skype recorder, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, that's why I was like, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're uh-huh. safe in Oklahoma because I can't go to Oklahoma. Ha <laughs> Yeah, he, he's So you're barred in legally... three states then? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, bad things, the three times I've been to Oklahoma, I've had two car wrecks and a bus breakdown, stranding me. So wow. clearly Oklahoma doesn't want me. Huh. Well then, I won't invite you over. Um... We have Joplin now, in the middle. We meet in the middle. Exactly. That's fine. The Superman Museum. Yeah. Oh, he shut it down though. He's it's 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 closed for the season. Yep. When does he open that back up? It'll be March, I believe. Oh, okay. That's not bad. Uh, the next up, we have the Adventures of Corgi Boy. <laughs> I never thought about how horrible that sounds when you say it out loud. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, I'm Corgi um, Boy. No, not well, you. Looks specifically saying it out loud. We have a Batmobile though. There is a Batmobile, and it very much looks like the sixty, the nineteen sixties Adam West TV show Batmobile, and it only costs four dollars. 
There's also the Wild Honey and the Mustang Mach 1 in the regular model kit, plus the four-engine Dragster, the Ford GT70, the Porsche 917, and the Moon Buggy, plus a cane truck. They will eventually make a Corgi Supermobile, by the way. Yes, and the Daily Planet van, and there's a few others, I think. Mm-hmm. I think there's a Batmobile towing a Bat boat, and there's also a Bat bike. I don't know. Uh, then they have Corgi Juniors, which has a Mini Cooper. No, Mini Copper. Sorry, Mini Copper, Hot Pants Dragster, and a VW Hot Rod. Woohoo! But anyway, so as I've got fast that. Fast and furious as you can imagine. <laughs> <coughs> or as you can push it down the hallway. Right. Um. Then of course we have one of those fun ad pages where it's got a ton of things that are really cheap, and they're trying to sell it for cheap, like the muscles of steel and a jackpot bank. And a the... Seven foot monster for a dollar. Darn tootin'! And you can you can even get the skeleton for a dollar as well. And learn how to vent. Look, throw your voice. Learn ventriloquism like Superman, kids. There you go. And a Raquel Welch pillow is still there. Yes, I love that pillow. Anyway, um, there's the see behind glasses. I don't know, I can see behind glasses. I can see through the glasses, too. There's a silent dog whistle, but you wouldn't know if it works unless you have a dog, so, yeah. Then there's a skinhead wig, which you know didn't work. And the secret spy scope, which you know didn't work. And the secret book safe, which actually probably didn't work either. And a joy buzzer. And a werewolf horror mask. Which, I don't it's kind of weird that they would try to sell that in December. But, yeah, maybe you're stocking up for Halloween. You, you missed, right next to the Raquel Welch pillow, they have a surprise package. Or, as they call it in-house... All the junk no one bought, so we're just going to send it to random people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, exactly. yeah, the stuff you get, the giveaways they do at cons, at comic cons. Yes, 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 yes. The, uh, the one, the uh, little one of those. What's that game? I don't know. Or you could get a you get a, like, a, a life size standee of Doctor Bashir from DS Nine. And who doesn't want one of those? I don't know a person. I I don't think I could. No, never mind. I'm going to make a joke there. I don't think anybody <laughs> wants one of those. <laughs> now, next up for me was at the end of the, I guess, page 24 in my book because I have Superman and you guys have action. Um, at the bottom of the page, I have an ad for a comic book. Mine's the Batman 100-page spectacular. What do you have in action, or do you even have that? Yeah, there's a. Uh... At the end of the story, Super Attractions in the March Superman. Okay. Uh, that's yeah, Skyscraper That Scream for Life, a shocker unlike anything you've read before, and Puzzle of the Telepathic Twins. And actually, it'll be a return to the private life of Clark Kent. That'll be coming back, which I'm excited about. Woohoo! And, and that's next episode, That's folks. next episode, and also next episode is apparently the TV show that menaced Metropolis and the return of Human Target in action as well, so... After the letters page, Bob I've... Wrote it, uh, sorry, Bob Rosakis wrote into the action issue. Did he? Sweet. I probably should have mentioned that. Well, I'll keep that in there. Thank you, Mike. Then I've got a... Paul Edwards also wrote in. <laughs> so did Keith Partain. Go, Paul! And Henry Lapat or Lippet, or Lappet, or Lipet, or... Carl Maris. James Drake. 
Carl Malcolm. I'm sorry, <laughs> Bob James, Malcolm. James W. Drake. And uh, he's probably Tim Drake's dad's brother, which I guess would make that would be Tim's uncle. Thank you. Um, and John Shelley. Not, not Mary Shelley, though. That, no, this is her brother. He was too busy reading comics to write books. Um, then, of course, we have the uh, full, well, actually, two half-page ads. The high-paying job in drafting ad, as well as the a larger version of the monster size monsters, seven-foot-tall posters for a dollar, featuring either the Frankenstein's monster or the skeleton. And you get to have a, a ten-day trial for free. That's and an, if you the... like it... I'm sorry, go ahead. And if you like it, after ten days, you pay a dollar plus 35 cents shipping and handling. Wow. What were you going to say? In the action issue, you've got the drafting ad, but then the bottom of the page is an ad for uh, Schwinn mm-hmm. scale model kits. What does that mean? Is it a bike? Can I ride it? What's it's a model say, of a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> That would go right next to my, you know, other bike models. That's weird. I didn't know Schwinn ever made bikes. Or, not bikes, models. Is it the same Schwinn? Yep. Um, I'm guessing it so. so. Well, NPC, oh, I see. NPC is making it based on Schwinn bikes. Oh, uh, there you go. Okay. And then the page after that is the 100-piece toy soldier set, packed in a pasteboard footlocker toy storage box. They're made of durable plastic and each of them has their own base, guaranteeing that it will not look anything like the image drawn on the page. And you get that for a buck twenty-five. Do you guys have that? No, we've got one for superhero stick-ons. Mm-hmm. You can oh, get, uh, those are fun. Superman and Supergirl, Green Lantern. Hawk you can put them on your lunchbox, your car. Actually, I would, too. On your notebook. Yeah, you would. Of course, these drawings are clearly not the scale <coughs> because the stick-on on the car is as big as the <laughs> one on the lunchbox. And so, <laughs> well, of course. And uh, let's see where we're. Let in. Now I'm on the. For two twenty-five, though, that's a pretty good price. Wow, that's kind I of. I wonder if the You get so fourteen stickers for two twenty-five, but a hundred-piece toy soldier set's only a buck twenty-five. I but think someone's the getting toy soldiers taken. on your car. Good point. Well, you can, but they're going to fall off. Yeah, the toy soldiers are maybe an inch high. Well, to be fair, the stick-ons probably would too. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then inside back cover, I have the Charles Atlas "Don't Be Half a Man" ad that features the lovable ad of the beach bully, Mac, and then the Charles Atlas stuff about getting muscles. Is that what you guys have? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. And then the back cover, we have the Aurora AFX ad that looks like someone sketched something real quick and then they colored it. That's some weird art. Makes sense for the late for the late 60s, early 70s. That actually does look like art that you would see like on record albums and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it looks kind of like they just scribbled. And it's the Aurora Factory Experimentals, the fastest cars you can drive without a license. They're great new models. Each one's built from the ground up, which is better than the top-down. Drive them all. AFX cars from the model motoring division of Aurora. 
We're for real. 1973, Aurora Products Corporation, 44 Cherry Valley Road, West Hempstead, New York, 11552. And that's it for the ads. Uh, next up, we're going to go through the comics. We're also on the stands in December 1972 from DC Comics. And to start off, we've got Justice League of America number 104 with the Justice League taking on the Shaggy Man. <laughs> Yay! Because <laughs> he will get you if you don't watch out. Lois Lane which is Superman's girlfriend, number 129, where Lois is having her clothes ripped off by a snake. Basically, looks like it. And a black woman is in is in uh, quicksand. And Lois actually refers to herself as Superman's girlfriend. And Superman only has time, even though he has super speed, to save one of them. So which one's he going to save? So I guess that's a boa constrictor that's got Lois. I have a feeling he saves Lois. At least Lois, yeah. Somehow, see, he's it's Superman, so he's still, you know, he still saves both of them. Now, Swamp Thing number three. Oh, you missed isn't the best really part su- of the Lois Lane issue, Charlie. I'm sorry. There's a Rose and Thorn backup. Oh crap! And on the Lois, thank you, Mike. There's the <laughs> Million Dollar Night by Rose and Thorn, even though they're not on the cover. Which I believe, according to the cover, is the surprise feature, even though Rose and Thorn has been a backup in Lois Lane. For several months. Only one more issue, though. 130 was their last. They, they no. dropped after 130. Yeah. Oh, no. That's very sad. And then it's a Lois Lane backup? No. That's crazy. So where do they go? Nowhere. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I like Rosenthorn, mm-hmm. sort of. Well, they come back in Superman later on. Um, Swamp Thing number three. Which, really, I'm only mentioning because it's Swamp Thing, and it's the, only his third appearance, and he's got a woman with her bosoms about to be exposed, while some really skinny white arms are coming after them. That issue is the first appearance of Abby. What's her name? Abby, uh, oh. Her girl, his, and the, his girlfriend. Yeah, I can't think of her name. Abby Cable. Thank you. There you go. Uh-huh. First appearance. Next scene of the first story of Swamp Thing number four, so apparently she survives. Spoiler. Thanks. Yep, you're welcome. Commandy, the last boy on Earth, number three, which has the last boy on Earth against a giant gorilla. On this cover, he definitely looks like David going up against Goliath because he's got a slingshot with a rock in it. I've never fought Goliath, thank you. The biblical David, yeah, okay. Oh, thank sorry, you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Jumped right yes, in there with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course it is. And this is Vegas. It's a monkey wearing a, giant... a diaper. Did you, did you point that out? <clears throat> he's got a diaper, but he's also got a, uh, a headband on. Right. So, oh, Jack Kirby. That's to protect him from the rock that that Commandy's going to throw at him. He's also got boots because monkeys don't wear because f- monkeys have to have shoes. One monkey don't stop no show, even with shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that That's sounds awesome. like it hurts. <laughs> it hurt a little. And if Charlie like isn't dying, coughing. we'll move on to the next yes. issue. Yeah. Now I'm only going to mention this because it's a Christmas cover, uh, but the Witching Hour has. A skeleton Santa or Skeletor as Santa but never kill a Santa Claus because you won't get anything in your stockings um, Batman number 247 it's a special holiday issue not only is there a Christmas story but there's a New Year's story too it's weird I don't know about you guys but this looks like a Jim Aparo cover to me but for some reason this is giving credit to Nick Cardi I was thinking the same thing but I'm going to assume that Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics Made an error, maybe. Yeah, that one's that's almost straight up. Cause that looks very Aparo-ish. Yeah, and it's weird the what kind of tick 
you know, like what I what draws me to it, what makes me think that is the muscles on on Batman's abdomen, the shape of his and the shape of his cowl, but the abdomen looks very cardy, which is so weird to try to explain. But yeah, well, I understand. But yeah, the the cowl though looks aparo. Mm-hmm. No, they both. Oh no, the whole oh. thing looks aparo. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. And I'm gonna mention the secrets of Sinister House because that cover looks really awesome. It looks like a pencil sketch that they just went ahead and printed. Of Roy Orbison as a vampire. Well, yeah, of course. Only the lonely. Oh, man, I'm cutting that out. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> crap. Uh, then there's Shazam, number one. Yes, I love it when, which... when, it, when DC sues a company because a character is so like Superman, and then Superman appears on the first issue cover after they buy said hero. Yes, and you have Superman. Looks like he's drawn by Nick Carty, but both Shazam and Billy Batson are drawn by C.C. Beck, who actually appears to draw all the stories in this issue aside from the reprint in the, that is in the back. There's three stories. The first two are drawn by C.C. Beck, who is the co-creator of uh, Captain, Marvel. Captain Marvel. Thank you. Yes, the big red cheese. I always find that a little, <coughs> a little weird. For the first six issues or so of this series, a lot of the stories were written by Denny O'Neill. And I always thought it was a little weird that he left Superman saying that he didn't like writing the character with you know all that power because he couldn't wrap his yeah. brain around it. And then he goes and writes Captain Marvel. So he goes for the cartoony right. kind of super-powered Shazam. Yeah, yeah that but, makes no sense. Yeah, but Captain Marvel, and I'm not going to weigh the two, Captain Marvel, as far as DC goes, is my second favorite superhero. Captain Marvel has, and, and uh, I don't agree with what Denny's saying, but I think the draw could have been that Captain Marvel is also a kid. There's a huge frailty in there that the, he's kind of a, a young kid trying to learn how to use these powers, even though he has the wisdom of Solomon. That makes sense. I could see where he would be drawn to that. I don't, I don't support it, but I understand maybe his mentality going into it. It's also possible that they got him to write these back when he was also writing Superman. And they're just now getting them printed out. Could be. Who knows? Um, then there's Wanted, the world's most dangerous villains, number six, which again reprints a whole bunch more old school superhero books featuring Starman, Sargon the Sorcerer, and Wildcat. And don't forget, yeah, the Golden Wasp, awesome. He's Ooh. a legend, except not. I know, I've heard of him, except like this time. Yeah. <laughs> um,. There's Challengers of the Unknown, number 78, which appears to have a Jack Kirby cover. I'm guessing this is all reprints because yeah. the editor is Nelson Bridwell. Yep. Uh-oh. What's wrong? Oh, no, just the next the next book. I was Legion of Superheroes, number one, which is the lad who wrecked the Legion, and we see Superboy throwing everyone around, and it's a reprint. Yeah, they're reprints from Adventure Comics, but... But check out that old-school logo. I, yeah, you don't see that and I don't miss that logo <laughs> no that's a very plain logo that I could draw freehand if I wanted to but it's nice that they actually got their own book of their own they yeah. got their instead own of taking over Adventure Comics and, and different two different iterations of Superboy yeah that's sad but uh hey it's also got a Tommy Tomorrow backup by Otto Bender yes yes Otto Bender and Jim yeah. Mooney yes by the way, Sweet. Jim Mooney wrote, uh, drew both both stories. <laughs> Supergirl number three, with Supergirl crying because she can't get a date, and it's got a Z- Zatanna backup. I would date Supergirl. 
Yeah, she seems nice. She likes cats. <laughs> she likes cats. I don't know. <laughs> well, she's got streaky. True. Good point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She wears ballet slippers too back then. Um, and who doesn't like a blonde in hot pants? I mean, come on. Okay, never mind. Um, World's Finest number two sixteen, with Batman and Superman looking for their super sons Woo-hoo! who are currently on ice. Oh yeah. With with a guy, and it looks like Marvin from Super Friends says he doesn't know where they are. Uh, Demon number six versus the Howler, which looks like the Shaggy Man again, or like the you know Bigfoot. I have read this, but I can't tell you what it's about. It's about the demon fighting the Howler. I can tell you that just looking at the cover. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hey, demon's on a horse. He's on a so horse. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Flash 220, featuring apparently the Flash and Kid Flash are in each other's bodies, it's a or they're color. sharing their legs. That's kind of yuck. It's interesting that now that Green Arrow has a solo feature Green sometimes Lady. in action. You actually on, said Green it. Arrow this time. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> Never mind me. Wow. Okay, take five. <laughs> All right. Take st- Thank you. Now that Green Arrow well, someone has a... you again, and then... <laughs> <laughs> you jerk. Okay. I'm just going to mute both of you. No. Um, now that Green Arrow has a backup feature in action, Green Lantern is now solo as a backup feature in Flash. And that was totally not worth all those tries. <laughs> so Green, Green Arrow's chili to... finally ran Hal off. Oh, my God. I've heard that's bad. It's legend. Just, uh, just, it's legendarily hot. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, they actually let's see, ran a, a recipe for Green Arrow chili. Um, it was during. Yes. I think it was in the Green Arrow secret files from around the time Kevin Smith was doing the book. Oh yeah. And it was really, it was really hot too. Did you read all the stuff in it? Yeah, it was like dump every hot ingredient, like Tabasco sauce, and uh, and large amounts of it. Yeah. Now, I find this funny. There's Secret Origins number one, and it says that it's a super collection of the most sought-after stories ever published, featuring Superman, Flash, Batman, Hawkman's first battle with the Ghost. And according to this, these stories are Hawkman's first battle with the Ghost and the first, the origin of Flash, totally not showing Superman or Batman at all in the issue. Yeah, it reprinted the one-page Superman origin from action number one, and the two-page Batman origin from Tech 33, I think. Seriously? Yeah. They are in the book, just not... They okay. don't have the multi-page features like the, the other two. That's that's That ain't right. Yeah. But I guess that's how you get four different stories in one book. There's only 32 pages, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a super-sized book. Uh, there's Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 156. Man of action. Thank you. Jimmy tells Superman to go after the the girl Skyjacker and says that he's perfectly safe as he is about to be uh, attacked by a... looks like a female lion, if I know my cats. It ain't Tabby. Maybe Garfield's big brother. That's, I don't that's know. streaky. <laughs> that's streaky on steroid kryptonite. There's 100-page Super Spectacular DC-14, which is apparently features Batman mostly, but not really. No, he, he, um, they reprint the, like, one of my favorite Batman stories where he fights the vampire, which is essentially uh, the Red Monk. Uh, yes, and see, this is why uh, another good reason we had Mike on, because his Le- Legends of the Batman covered both parts of this story, Yay. and they didn't really like it at all. Yeah, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
See, it I makes a it lot in, of. I read it in the greatest Batman stories ever told trade, and I knew nothing of Golden Age Batman. So for me, that was the first introduction to that hardcore. I will shoot you in the head, Batman. <laughs> right. Uh, well, he didn't shoot him in the head. He shot him in the chest. It's one of those stories. If you don't think about it, it's fine. But if you try to think oh, yeah. about it, yeah. Um, but anyway, this this issue not only features that two part story, but we have the Adam, Black Hawk, Wonder Woman, Doll Man, Wildcat. And another Batman story featuring the Batmobile of 1950, because you know that's the hot rod all the chicks love. Uh, there's Doom Patrol number 122. It's the Doom Patrol versus... Mike? The Animal Vegetable Mineral Man. Which looks so totally weird. He's got tree trunk arms and legs, and he's half a guy that looks like he's trying to be Quicksilver from Marvel. He's also a half dinosaur. A pink dinosaur, like Barney. Ooh, it's Barney color. There you go, except without the green tummy. But his other leg and other arm are look like diamond? Some sort of gem. I'm guessing. And he's, he's doing a pretty good job of taking out the uh, Doom Patrol. Wow. His, his name is Dr. Sven Larsen. He's a Swedish biologist. Right there, and he's going to go bad. Um, there's the Middleman, number 42. A reprint again. What a shock. And we have Superboy, number 193. Featuring three young men. Which one is the real Superboy in the Million Dollar Dobbert class? But we also get the Legion of Superheroes in a new saga. The War Between the Nights and the Days. Is that like the Jets and the like, Sharks? But just... I was going to say, it sounds like the West Side Story in, yeah. the, in the 30th yeah, century. That's by Kerry Bates and Dave Cockrum. That's kind of cool. You are L7. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo! No, that wouldn't be an L. Never mind. Wow, I killed that. Um, There's the all-new Adventure Comics, number 246, featuring the Adventurers Club in a story titled Adventurers Club. There's Vigilante, Vigilante, Vigilante however you want to say it, and Captain Fear. And as you can tell, now that Supergirl has left the book, you really get some of those stories that or some characters that you haven't heard of too much before. But Vigilante, I have. Yeah, Vigilante. Um, he just has been one of the re- previous issues of World's Finest, in fact. Mm-hmm. The last one featuring uh, Superman and another hero that isn't Batman. What? But, see, there were several issues I was covering on this show before you came on where Superman would team up with another hero in World's Finest, but Batman wouldn't show up. I thought that was DC then, Comics Presents, Charlie. You're getting me all confused. That's in the late 70s. I know, I know. <sighs> Don't mess with me, man. I'm just okay. surprised to hear there was a show before David came on. I thought that Thank was the you. episode. Thank <laughs> you. Wow. Ooh. And that would probably make sense to a lot of people. See, the reason I'm I'm up at, we're up to episode 37 right now is because I did a large number of episodes before David came on. This is only, what, third or fourth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I think it's so. It'd be the fourth, I think. Uh, it might, it would be the fourth, I don't know, fourth or fifth, depending on if you count that, the two episodes that you were a guest on. Yeah. But in any event... Which was supposed to be one. <laughs> which was one until it turned out to, like, four hours. But anyway, um, next up we have Detective Comics, number 432. Which actually has a cool 
Dick Giordano cover. Looks like ripped money, though. It is ripped money, all in half. And it's called The Great Rip-Off Mystery. Wow, that sounds like, uh, like Silver Age right there. It also has the Atom. It's kind of a weird choice for a backup in a Batman book. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you wouldn't normally, especially Detective. Right. But it is a brand new story featuring uh, an Elliot S. Magan Murphy Anderson story. And that's it for our superhero books for the month. Once again, we want to thank Michael for coming onto the show. And Michael, thank you. Why don't you me. tell it? Well, of course. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your fantastical podcasts? My Superman podcast is at greatcrypton.com, and the Green Lantern one is at greenlanternslight.com. See how simple that is, and folks? they're also both on iTunes and Facebook and Twitter, if you use Twitter. And there's probably an RSS feed, too, right? Yes. See? See? I'm helping out. And then, of course, Dave is also on Green Lantern's Light with Mike. Yes, and I'll be here. And here! And... Unfortunately, not much else anymore. No, the, the Superboy Chronicles is over with, and then I uh, just, you know, time. Needed to get back to real life. Pad Smash is tentatively, well, it's on an uh, extended hiatus. And then I am here. So, yeah, here we are. Okay, so thank you all for listening. And, again, thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. And until next time, stay classy, Metropolis. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are posted at superbronze1970.libsyn.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, amazingworldofsuperman.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Publications.